Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Good times, guys. Good times. All right, we're going to be in Acts 18 today. We're going to kind of see how far we get. (laughs) Um, I have optional breaks in here. But I'd like us to see what will be the end of Paul's second missionary journey. So remember, his first missionary journey was with Barnabas. And they go around and they, um, that's where they pick up Timothy and they, right? That's where they pick up? No, not Timothy yet. Sorry. So they, <laughs> they go around, they start a few churches, they come back to Antioch. And from there, Paul grabs Silas. On their way, they pick up Timothy. Then they pick up Luke. And this team kind of makes this beautiful arch arc, arch, all the way from here where they picked up Timothy, etc., all the way through this kind of Greek region, part of what's Turkey now. And um, we, when we picked up last, Paul was in Corinth. So he's got one more stop before the end of his second missionary journey which was probably about a year longer than his first one, okay? So a bit of a longer time. So it says, Now Paul, when he had remained, we're in verse 18, many days longer, took leave of the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Now, notice that Priscilla's name is first. Um, Interestingly, (laughs) when it was translated into the Western text, they flipped it and put the husband's name first. Uh, But the actual translation is that Priscilla's name is first. And the reason why this is important is because I want you to think back to Paul's first missionary journey. Remember that when they left Antioch and they go to Cyprus, (laughs) a lot of little islands, Cyprus, uh, it says, now Barnabas and Paul went to Cyprus. And our understanding there is that Barnabas, because he was from Cyprus, was kind of the leader of their uh, navigating Cyprus and going through all of it. And then when they leave Cyprus and they go up to city in Antioch, it says, now Paul and Barnabas. And from then on, it says Paul and Barnabas or Paul and the others. So we take this to mean that once they got to city in Antioch, it was more Paul that was taking the lead. They were partners, right? Because remember, when they get to uh, a completely uh, non-Jewish city, they want to worship them, and they say, Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is his messenger, Hermes, and they want to worship them as gods. We take this to mean Barnabas was probably a stronger guy and Paul was the chatty one, okay? But it's referred to Paul and Barnabas. So the reason why it's important that at some points we see Aquila's name first, but here in Luke, he, he, uh, at, I think there's one instance where it says Aquila and Priscilla. But from now on, he's always going to say Priscilla and Aquila. So we have from Luke, this is the same author who did the name switch on Paul and Barnabas, 
that this means that Priscilla was the one, especially because it's not normal maybe in this culture to name the wife first, that Priscilla is the one who's kind of taking the lead in this partnership of husband and wife. Okay, that's why it's important because it's rare, but also we have precedent from Luke that when someone's the leader or the head, uh, the, the first person of that group, you name them first, okay? Uh, off the soapbox of women in ministry in a roundabout way, but there it is. All right. So <clears throat> Paul was probably in Corinth for a total of two years. So he spent the most time of his missionary journey there by far, right? Because all the other places he visited only made up a year and Corinth was two years. And when he leaves, Priscilla and Aquila are ready to go with him and plant a church in Ephesus. This means that over their time there, because remember, Paul came to Corinth without his team. He met Priscilla and Aquila there, their tent makers or leather workers together. And then when his team joins him, he starts preaching full time. But Priscilla and Aquila are kind of his surrogate family there, okay, in Corinth. So this means that over their time together, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, Paul had mentored and discipled them to the point where they felt ready and he felt confident in them to start a new church on their own. Paul knew he wasn't going to stay in Ephesus. We'll get to that. And so he's saying, let's all go together. I'm going to drop you off and you're going to continue kind of my legacy of starting churches or, or um, having that apostolic, let's talk to the Jews and let's start evangelizing. You're going to take what you've seen from me and now you're going to do it in Ephesus and I'm going to leave you there. It's like when Gandalf comes back with the hobbits, you know, yeah. And they're like, oh no, things are wrong at home in the Shire. And he's like, I'm not going with you to the Shire. And they're like, what, Gandalf, you've been with us for a year on this crazy journey. Did you see the movies? I'll give you a pass if you've seen the movies, but please read the books. And it's so sad that David Lovejoy's not here. (laughs) And uh, he would really love this. And they come back and he's like, I'm not coming with you. Don't you understand? This is what you've been trained for. And what he seems to be saying is that this whole journey to Mount Doom and all the adventures they've had and all the ways in which they fought evil was actually training so that they could go do it on their own. And Gandalf had raised up leaders to go be a positive influence back home where they came from. Bible and Lord of the Rings, it's just meant to be. Okay, so that is what Paul is doing. Yeah, that's right. Write that down and share it on Instagram. That is what Paul is doing here with Priscilla and Aquila. And it's interesting to me that rather than saying Silas will plant there or Timothy will plant there, he's saying it's Priscilla and Aquila. That means that he really felt confident in their ability to carry on his work, right? And this is where he's becoming not just a doer of the faith, but a father of the faith right, where now I've raised up people who can take my place. 
I can go do the next thing God has called me to do because I have replicated myself, right? I have made disciples. And that's the thing is, you know, we are being discipled, but at some point we are to be making disciples, right? So it says, Paul first had his hair cut at Sancria for he was keeping a vow. Now this is just an aside, but it's weird. So I thought I'd explain it. Um, so a vow um, in this way of letting your hair grow was this idea of my hair growing is a symbol that I am putting my hope in God and waiting on him to fulfill a promise. Now, what was the promise that God had given to Paul in Corinth? That no one will attack you to harm you and that there will be fruit in this city, right? And so we can understand from this passage that Paul had let his hair grow as he was waiting on that promise to be fulfilled. Okay, so letting your hair grow out for as long as it takes for you to see the promise of God. Wouldn't that be fun if we did it now? Tim, you've been waiting a long time. <laughs> but wouldn't that be fun if we did that now? So once God has kept his promise that he made to Paul back in verse 10, Paul can cut his hair. It's saying, I've waited and now I've seen your faithfulness. And from there, so this is a, this is a common Jewish custom. From there, from cutting his hair, Paul has 30 days to go present it as a thanksgiving offering at the temple. Which is why he's like, I'm not staying with you in Ephesus. I've got to get to the temple and present my thanksgiving offering to God. Which is really interesting because Paul's the one who's like, eat clean meats, eat unclean meats. But, you know, don't, don't separate Gentiles and Jews in worship, right? We think of him as a little bit willy-nilly in the way that he um, sees the segregation between Jews and Gentiles. But what we see from this is that Paul has not at all let go of his Jewish identity in order to become Christian, right? He is a Jew who believes in Christ. And there's no dichotomy between those two things for him. He's still going to keep the law and the tradition as long as it doesn't get in the way of God's plan for all to receive salvation, right? And that's, that's kind of a cool thing to remember, that he wasn't just like, well, never mind, none of it matters, right? It mattered to him, right? So it says in verse 19, they came to Ephesus and he left them there. Oh, they must have been like, they must have had butterflies in their tummy, you know? I mean, they're adults, but they've always kind of been under Paul or with someone, you know, it doesn't say that when they got to Corinth, they were evangelizing. They were just making tents and they were Christians and Paul found them. So they come to Ephesus and he left them there. But before he left, he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but took leave of them and said, I will return to you again if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So what we can kind of understand from that is that Paul was probably in Ephesus for about a week. Okay, so we get Priscilla and Aquila there. We find the synagogue, and he has one Sabbath to go to present the gospel. <laughs> Pregnancy out of breath, sorry. 
to go and present the gospel. And then he just has to leave. And I think that is such a good picture of what it means to disciple or to lead or to be a parent whose children grow up because you kind of give them that push. Like (laughs) I was just watching a video in our memories of Amos helping Joe learn to ride a bike, right? And it was hilarious because on the video, it's like, yay, she did it. But it's like I had filmed 25 back and forth where Amos is like, run, run. He's like sitting down next to me. Babe, I'm tired. (laughs) Like I was like, well, you have to do it now. She's all excited. You know, I was like, keep doing it till she gets it. But in a way, as disciplers, as parents, as leaders, we're giving them the push on the bike. And at some point, you have to kind of let them go and ride the bike and not keep jogging alongside them. Like, whoop, 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 whoop. Like at some point, they have to be released to do it their way, possibly without your oversight. And that's a really hard thing about leading and parenting and pastoring and discipling is to say, I've taught you well, but I can't feel responsible now for what's going to happen here. And I think for, for me, for most of us, it's very hard to give up that kind of control. I mean, you just evangelized this whole circle of Greece, and now it's the last stop, and you're like, I get one chance to say the gospel, and they're really interested, and they're asking me to stay, but I have enough faith in what God is doing, the gifts he's given Priscilla and Aquila, how I've trained them, that I'm like, you know what? This is not my job and not my prob. I can let it go, and leave it because I have other things to do. And it's such a small snippet, isn't it? But it really shows us something about what leadership is and what pastoring is, what discipling. And when I say pastoring and discipling, I mean the work that we are all called to do, right? Jesus said, go and make disciples. So it's not... It's not enough to just be discipled. At some point, we have to take on the responsibility to then disciple others. And many of us will do that with our children. Many of us will do that with our children's friends, right? Or with our own friends. But uh, this is the task of every Christian. So when I say leader or discipler or pastor, I'm talking about you. I'm not just talking about me, okay? So Paul has enough confidence in Priscilla and Aquila to leave them to this task of beginning a church and preaching the gospel to Ephesus. He stays there only a week and only has one Sabbath to introduce the good news of Jesus as the waited for Messiah. Now Ephesus is up to one third Jewish in its population. Yeah, so remember how in Philippi there wasn't even a synagogue because they couldn't find 10 Jewish men so the women would just go out to the river and pray together, right? Here in Ephesus, we're talking, if you're in the synagogue and the synagogue starts believing in Jesus, you have a really high population of people in that town who are, who are ready, possibly ready to receive, who already have some kind of open door. And so 
um, Priscilla and Aquila are the perfect couple to do this because one, one, there's two of them. They are their own team, right? And we've seen again and again and again through Acts that no one goes alone. That when someone goes alone, right, uh, it doesn't go great. Like Paul in Athens, right? That was not ideal. He didn't have his team with him. And when his team comes, he is way more effective, right? So Priscilla and Aquila already have this team. And then they um, are of kind of mixed origin. You know, it's believed that Priscilla was Roman because they got kicked out of Rome when all the Jews were kicked out of Rome. That Priscilla was Roman and then also Aquila is Jewish. So they have this Roman Jewish diaspora combination and they're coming to this town that's two-third Gentile and one-third Jewish. So this really good picture of what the new kingdom of God looks like. They're setting an example just through their relationship of what this new way can be, if that makes sense. And so it says when he landed in Caesarea, we'll come back to Ephesus later, but when he landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Now keep in mind, this up-down nonsense is not the same as it is for us. So um, he lands here. Now Jerusalem from anywhere in the world was up. Not because it was the northernmost place, but because Jerusalem and the temple was set on a hill. And in Jewish thinking, you're always going up to the temple and down to anywhere else where we would say, I'm going up to Canada, or I'm going down to Oregon, right? So just to clarify what that means. So he lands in Caesarea, he goes up <laughs> to Jerusalem, and he visits the mother church. He greets them, I'm sure he gives them a report on what's happening, and um, because Christianity has spread, and the name of Jesus has spread, it's not just Paul, there's Jews who saw the Holy Spirit poured out on Pentecost and then brought the gospel home with them. What Paul's been doing is also bringing in line new believers, new converts, so that the Jerusalem church and all these new churches are kind of in unity as far as what we believe, what Jews and Gentiles need to do to be together and all that stuff. So he goes to Jerusalem, but remember, he's also making his offering, his Thanksgiving offering from the vow, right, where he let his hair grow long and then cut it. So he goes to Jerusalem, visits the mother church, and then he goes back to Antioch, which is his home or sending church, right? That's where he and Barnabas started their first missionary journey from. So he goes back home from where he set out uh, with Silas three years previous. And then it says, after spending some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region, strengthening the disciples. So then he does a quick loop <laughs> through the churches that were planted uh, through this region. He goes quickly through these churches here back to like Timothy's home church and these churches that were started early on. And he strengthens dis the disciples and he will end up getting back to Ephesus 
at least a year later from when he left them. And I think it's important to note, because again, it's like, it's just one line, but he spent some time at his home church after this missionary journey where he was beaten multiple times and in front of like uh, Galio, right? The guy in, uh, help me, where was he? Corinth, (laughs) sorry. The guy in Corinth who would judge publicly, right? He had to make a case for Christ in front of him. He didn't actually have to, but like was brought in front of him. He's been brought in front of the best philosophical minds in Athens and had to give a reasoning for Jesus. I mean, you think about all the things Paul has been through on this journey And then he stops in Jerusalem, he gives his offering, and he goes back to his home church, his sending church of Antioch, and it's likely he spent the better part of a year there. And I think in this, one of the things we see in Paul's work is that he never stopped for a second. No, that was sarcastic. Is that there's these seasons in Paul's journey. Seasons of this missionary evangelistic work of starting something new, of being the catalyst, the apostle, and then resting and renewing and being in his home community. And I think these rhythms are really important. Um, if you, I don't know if anyone's been been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Has anyone been listening to that podcast? So they just had a bonus episode where Tim Keller came on. So he's a pastor and a theologian in New York. And he's a very, very respected uh, reformed theologian. He's Presbyterian. And he talks about things that make for a healthy leader and a healthy church and things that make a church grow but in the end end up killing it. And it's interesting to me that Paul himself kind of was willing to have a fall and winter in his ministry rhythms. And this is what I mean by this. I think in the Pentecostal world of which we are in, just so you know, um, where we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we believe that the Holy Spirit gives us strength and comfort and power, right? The enabling to talk to a friend about Jesus or to be kind when we want to be rude, etc. That this means we should, anytime we're tired, anytime we're worn down, anytime we're kind of like, I don't have any vision or excitement, Holy Spirit, fill me again. We just keep going, right? As if the Holy Spirit covers over the rhythms God has given our body of work and rest, betraying his own setup, as it were. Something to think about. But what I have noticed as this kind of danger, as we talk about discipling others and telling people about Christ and kind of having times in our lives where we're being brave like Paul was brave or brave like Priscilla and Aquila because like Paul's going to rest and Priscilla and Aquila are just getting started, right? 
So they're going into this starting season and he's coming into his quiet season. So what I would say is like Priscilla and Aquila are in their springtime. Things are coming to life. Things are starting for them. They've kind of spent this time training and now it's like, okay, like you think about the energy it takes to start something, start a business, start a new hobby, start a new job, get a new baby, etc. It is a sprint, right? To start something new. Start a new exercise program, start a new eating program, on and on and on. And then at some point, like when you're rounding second base to third, energy tends to dip, <laughs> right? And if you're gonna continue, it's because you're diligent and disciplined, not because you're feeling it like you were when you were like, that's it, no carbs in 2022, right? I didn't do that, but I'm just saying I have been there. Uh, <laughs> and I think what's important for us to remember is that the Lord set up seasons for a reason. Sometimes it's going to be spring and things are going to be starting and there's going to be new growth all over. And you're like, bing, bang, boom. I mean, it's just, and then it's summer and it's easy and it's happy and your kids don't have to wear as many clothes. They can go outside barefoot. I mean, it's just easier in summer, in my opinion. And then you come to fall, things start to turn, things start to die at the end of fall. There's a harvest and then things start to go to sleep and then in winter, everything's kind of bare and quiet, right? And that is the way I believe the Lord has set up not only our earth and its seasons, but the seasons of our lives the seasons of the way that we interact with God. Have you ever been in a winter season in your relationship with God? You're like, I can't hear you. I'm not sure about this. Where are you? And then what happens out of those times? Spring comes, right? And then you have that new lovey-dovey time and it's summer. And then you're like, ah, right? And we have these seasons. We have seasons in our relationships like this. And what I'm, all of that is to say this, an unwise leader, an unwise person says it is always spring and summer. If I have the Holy Spirit, it is always growth. It is always abundance. It is always easy. It's just go, 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 new life all the time, right? But I want to remind you of something the Lord says in the Old Testament, where he says, every seven years, you let the ground rest so that for the next six years, it can be fruitful, right? Same rhythm as Sabbath, right? Six days on, one day off. And what it says when they are, when the Israelites are taken to Babylon, it says, you're going to be gone for 70 years, one year to pay back all the Sabbaths you didn't let the land take. I.e., if you don't take Sabbath, if you don't take the downtime, if you're not willing to accept the winter, God will take it for you. Has that ever happened to you in your body? I mean, that's not a threat. It's the way the Lord has set up the world where you're like, I'm just going to keep pushing. I'm just going to keep pushing. I'm just going to keep pushing. And, and you hear these little things like maybe you should rest or 
go ahead and take a day off or say no to that friend who needs you. And you're like, no, no, I've got the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> I've got that, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. And what happens? You're flat on your back, sick, or you get injured in some way. I'm not saying God is injuring you. I'm saying our bodies are not meant to live that way. And so this is where I'm like, Paul is as Pentecostal as they come. But after three years of a missionary journey, what does he do? He spends a year with his home people, with his home church, not starting anything new, not being, seems to be like, not being the spokesperson for everything, but just being with his people and resting and understanding that there needs to be a replenishment before he goes out again, which will happen. And we would be foolish to say, Paul needed to rest, but I do not. (laughs) To say, because I have the Holy Spirit, because I can pray, it can always be spring and summer in my life, or in my finances, or at a church. That's why I'm saying, taking it back to Tim Keller, beware of any church or leader or business leader, heck, who says it's always spring and summer and isn't willing to say it's fall and winter or this is a rest season or this is a season where something's happening underneath the surface and spring will come, right? It's a very up and to the right manifest destiny, American culture thing to say it's always meant to be growing spring, summer abundance. And it's very Jesus and Paul and the gospel to say seasons of starting and seasons of ending, seasons of work and seasons of rest. So there's this, again, rhythm of resting and renewing and being in his home community that Paul recognized as essential. And I don't know if he was like, here's the deal, guys. I'm in my fall and winter season, and there will be spring when I had to have it. I don't know. I'm assuming Paul listened to the Holy Spirit and just had a good sense of like, not yet. Not yet. Nope, still not yet. Okay, go. (laughs) Right? There are seasons to push forward and take the land, and there are seasons to maintain and reset to get fresh vision for the future and be among people who make you feel safe rather than the moments where we feel like God has us on the edge of a cliff and it's taking everything in us to say yes to him. Seasons of starting something new and seasons of going back to what you know. We're not meant to be taking new land all the time. We're not meant to be safe and at home all the time. There needs to be a balance of those two things in our walk with God, in our discipling, in the way that we say yes to him. But it can't just be Paul found a church he loved in Antioch and just hung out. Because then there's no Timothy. There's no Priscilla and Aquila, right? And at the same time, he's not meant to work himself into the ground. He's meant to plant for three seasons, and rest for one. 
Paul seemed to be on this two to three year cycle with his missionary journeys. And after this journey, he spends more time at home than he did after his first one. We are going to actually stop there and not talk about Ephesus quite yet. <clears throat> but the reason why I'm hitting this so hard is because honestly, as I've like read through Acts in the past, but definitely not gone like verse by verse and studied each week, I think I did always have this idea of, well, Paul's an apostle, so he just starts things. And it's just fruit and movement and go, go, go all the time. So that's how I should be, right? Has anyone ever read Acts or heard about Peter or whatever else and been like, oh, like if you're really discipled, if you're really full of the spirit, you're just, there's no time to waste, right? I mean, the pastor of the church I grew up in, when he was retiring, after a few heart attacks, said, you know, we've always wanted to go up to Mount Rainier, and we never have. This is living an hour away for 25 years. Because why? The ministry was more important. And there was tons of fruit from his ministry. But I remember hearing that after growing up in this church and being like, I don't want to do that. And it's not because I'm lazy, right? It's not because I'm like, no, I have to go to Mount Rainier. It's because what I realize is that that's actually, I mean, I realize it now. At the time, I just knew I was like, I don't like that. But now I'm like, that's actually not the rhythm. It says Jesus went to lonely places and pray often. He would go by himself to a secluded place. There's this even in Jesus's life. There's Sabbath, which he's observing his whole ministry, but he has his own time to get away from everyone and just be with God. It's not just go, go, go all the time. And we're all flabbergasted when people ask him to come places or keep healing or keep feeding us. And he's like, no, I have more important things to do. And then he leaves everyone and goes to pray. He leaves everyone to have alone time. Doesn't that kind of blow our minds in a way? Amen. So the rhythm of serving God is not the rhythm of running all the time. It's a rhythm of being attuned to the Holy Spirit and understanding when it's time to go and when it's time to rest. Now, I did not mean this to be a sermon about emotionally healthy spirituality, but it is, so I'm going to go with it. The things I've been learning the last two to three years, when I've been reading the Emotionally Healthy Leader and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Right now, Dad and I have our summer book club, and we are going through emotionally healthy relationships together. And wowza, it's like, it's embarrassing that I didn't know all this before. You get really embarrassed by the way you act when you watch mature people do their lives. Anyway, it has completely changed my view of what being faithful to God is. 
and I have read all the leadership books and been discipled and been mentored. And this idea that honoring God is honoring the rhythms and the limits he's given us and putting our faith in him to do what we cannot do, just like Paul was like, I get one weekend in the synagogue and then I'll come back if God wills. That right there is emotionally healthy spirituality. And that's not because he was lazy, man. He just spent three years going gangbusters. But he knew when it was time to go home. So with all that said, um, every week that I'm on sabbatical, you're going to be having like a video or a blurb or Trey and Barb will tell you about what we're going to this fall in emotionally healthy spirituality. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not a small group curriculum. This is a discipleship course and it's not, it's serious. It's not something to come in and out of, okay? But what it will do, I believe, is change your perspective on what it means to be a mature Christian. So be praying about it. This is what I'll ask you. Be praying about it. Don't say, that doesn't sound good to me, or I don't have the time. Would you really pray Am I supposed to go on this eight-week course that Barb and Trey and I will be leading this fall? Okay? And if you're not, no sweat. But if you are, let's dig in and let's do it. Because, like I said, I'm going on next summer will be 20 years of ministry and 32 years of being a Christian. And this has made it possible for me to live through this time and become a leader who is living a sustainable life. Back when I was 20, sustainable was like a dirty word. But now I know better. I need to sleep, okay? <laughs> so with that said, I just want to pray for us. <laughs> Mom's laughing because she always used to be like, you have no margin. And I was like, Mom, please. Anyway, I love you. You're wise. Okay. Lord, we come before you this morning, and as every week I feel like I'm learning something new as we go through Acts or realizing that some of my assumptions were wrong or the actual story's different from what I thought, I just think how fun it is that none of this is a surprise to you and that every time we have an epiphany or we learn or we think, gosh, like, Maybe it's different than I thought that, Lord, you are just smiling at us from heaven, ready to welcome us into the next step and the next way and the next level of just being discipled by you and by your word and by this community. And so, Lord, I just pray for all those who feel like they've been on a three-year missionary journey and it's time to go home. Lord, I thank you that you have allowed us seasons of rest because you love us and you have made us to enjoy you without having to perform or produce for you. So Lord, for all those who need that deep in their hearts, Lord, would you give them that peace, that assurance from you, Lord. And God, for those of us 
who have maybe been in Antioch just a little too long, who have been a little too comfortable, or who look at what Paul is doing and say, I'm not built like that. I'm not meant to disciple. I'm not meant to lead. Lord God, would you start stirring in our hearts a hunger to see something new, a hunger to be led forward, even as we're scared, even as we do not feel ready, Lord, would you pour out your grace on us to disciple and to be discipled? In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace through Jesus Christ our Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org slash giving. Thanks. There's lots of donuts. So on Sunday, calories don't count. So get your donuts. (laughs) 